podcast fam, we have a treat for you today. Dr. Dre Graham is the 2020 Florida Teacher of the Year and Executive Director of Independent Education and Parental Choice at the Florida Department of Education. He hopes that his work will continue to empower the next generation of world changers and positively impact the narrative of education everywhere. Get ready for an excellent show. You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. I am amped for this episode, so y'all. Excited. So I'm like excited. Super excited. I cannot wait to introduce our guests. Uh, but before we do, we got some sponsors that we got to give so much love to. That's right. We got to give a huge thank you to Leonardo's Pizza of Millhopper. Kyle and his team have been so supportive of our show. But even greater than that, they're so supportive of our community. Dude, I just love seeing his posts on uh, social media. Kyle's always repping the WoGNV podcast. He's got some of Gainesville's great business and brands, hats, and scars and face masks and everything everything he, he's always supporting and uh you know what uh in, in 2020 alone they donated over twenty thousand dollars worth of pizza and sponsored five thousand dollars in fundraisers for homeless shelters hospital staff local nonprofits, school groups everything kyle and his team are just absolutely incredible so do us a favor and send these guys a huge thank you by ordering dinner tonight from leonardo's millhopper get some get some lasagna some chicago pizza definitely get some of those delicious garlic rolls they're so good dude they're so good the best you can do, uh, the best way you can do this, I'm sorry, is by going to Leonardo's uh, Leonardo's Millhopper.com. Sorry, that's Leonardo's Millhopper.com or by calling 352-376-2001. The best dinner you can get tonight. Kyle, I love you, dude. Love that, man. Thank you I so love much. seeing his posts. They're always so good. And podcast fam, let's talk quickly about how COVID-19, COVID-20, and COVID-21 at this point (laughs) (laughs) has impacted your business. Uh, Maybe you realize you need a different kind of office space or you have questions about your lease options or or maybe you've been thinking about buying or selling a commercial property, but you're not sure when to act. Call the GNV Commercial Advisory Team at Collier's Gainesville. They have the expertise and local experience to help you make the right decision for your commercial real estate needs, y'all. Check out their services at colliers.com slash Gainesville. Many thanks to my friend Dan Drodos and the GNV Commercial Advisors at Colliers Gainesville. You guys are absolutely epic. I love you. Thank you so much for supporting our show. And hey, listeners, like if you need to get connected to any of our sponsors, just know that you can find all of the links, all of the information on our website at whoagnv.com forward slash sponsors. I know sometimes we get in here, we start going, we start talking really fast and you might miss the information because you're driving down the road listening to the greatest podcast of all time. You're like, oh, I missed that sponsor. Well, guess what? whoagnv.com forward slash sponsors. Go there and it's all it's all right there for you. Sarah's like laughing at me. I don't even. Why are you over here? <laughs> uh, so so let's go. And you guys, I, I'm I'm juiced. I'm like so. Excited. Dude, we're like excited for every episode all the time. But like this one is a little special for different reasons. Yeah, and, and we'll we'll dive into it. Tell you all those reasons. But today on the show we have Dr. Dre Graham, the 2020 Florida Teacher of the Year and Executive Director of Independent Education and Parental Choice at the Florida Department of Education. <laughs> I ran out of air, <laughs> ran out of breath. 
Department of Education, Dr. Dre. What's going on, house. everybody? What's up, man? <laughs> How are you? It's so good to see you. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. Like, so, so excited. So, who wants to kind of share a little bit of our history and how we know oh, I mean, each where other? Do, yeah, where do we start? Why don't you tell everybody? Okay, right? so um, the I would say the common bond we have is the University of Florida, but specifically the Go University Gators. of Florida Marching Band School of Music. Go Marching uh, Band? Yeah, that's yes. right. That, does it irritate you guys that the Marching Band has just gotten significantly cooler? <laughs> since we the were there. Since we were there. Like, it's just like really cool. Marching band is like awesome. This, this is like, an their entire... social media is on point. Like everything is like This is an great. entire podcast on its own. So okay. I'll try okay. not to oh, go you're, that you're far. Right. You're right. I will, say, I will say this. We had more fun. They have more opportunity. They went to London. I mean, uh, they, they've had correct. more opportunities and all that kind of stuff. We're featured in collegemarchingband.com. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're a whole so, session. like, yeah. you know, yeah. you... I don't know that you, maybe you can be both, but like I'm jealous of of what they've gotten to do. But I think if they knew the fun that we had, they'd be a little jealous too. So like you know, teach their own. What do you? Th- you don't think so, huh? I, what would you rather? Would you rather be the ones with the opportunities to travel, or would you rather be the one that had the fun that we got to have? I feel like we made the most of the opportunities we had, and each generation has different opportunities, and so it's up for it's up to them to make the most of those opportunities. This is their band. Exactly. Yeah. This isn't our band. Right. This we're, we're proud of the band they've become, but our band was... was, was I think was that's the, the other one. That one of the biggest things about like, and maybe it's maturity, maybe it's whatever, but like <laughs> when you're in it, and we, we talked a little bit before that started about like the awkward transitions between regimes and stuff like that, and that happens <laughs> in business, that happens in football teams, sports, that happens in business culture. Yeah. I mean, it happens across the board, right? But when you're in it, when you're in the middle of it, those transitions are so hard so tough and it's it's you know clinging on to that thing that you loved versus letting it go to the next wave of people and when you're in that transition period that's when it's the hardest and and we were we were both in a little bit of yeah. that transition and and the way we handled it might have been a little bit different but but I think what you said is completely right though like you I, I look back on our time with pride and sure. I look back on I, I look forward to like the band that they are today and, and what they're doing and that with with this with similar pride uh, because I just think it's just incredible what, what they have gotten to do and what they've become. Exactly, and I think that's the point is that once you want to leave an organization that you loved in better shape than what you found it. Of course. And when you see that the trajectory is still going up, go up and up like, and up. Yeah, then it's like, okay, you know what? There's really great things happening in the fighting Gator marching band that like when I go back, I can say, yeah, I was a part of that. Just right. in the same way that, yeah, we're all graduated from Florida, but Florida was elite when we were in school. But now it's at a whole other level. Yeah, they weren't a top six university, level. top seven, Correct. whatever. Right. Like, but you better believe anytime someone brings up the ranking for the University of Florida, yeah, I have two degrees from there. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Oh yeah, it's so tough. Do you, to have get you in. done an alumni band? <laughs> um, I have. That's the one thing I have not done. See, neither have I. I, I, I feel like it's kind of like. Uh, to be fair, like I haven't been invited. <laughs> I haven't been invited to an alumni band yet. I think they're still waiting. It's like, um, what is? Are it? we not old enough? Right, right. <laughs> like it's it's like when you go into the Hall of Fame, you have to have like a certain amount of years out of the and like true. I don't think that clock has ticked away for me yet because I was okay. in marching band for like ten years. Maybe, but. <laughs> maybe we haven't donated enough to the right. Band. Maybe maybe and that's, that's why it. our name isn't on the list. Maybe that's. I don't know, but but maybe we should just make the pack now and so, I'll do so a lot of my band together. Tell our audience what we played in marching band. That kind okay, of thing. Um, I was uh, M- Michael. And what D- years? What yeah, years? M- Michael D's alto sax, two thousand four <laughs> to two thousand seven. Drumline FDL from two thousand seven to two thousand ten. <laughs> You're like the longest band member of all time. Uh, no, no, Bilbo. Bilbo. Bilbo Baggins is the longest drum member of all time. But, Bilbo, uh, we love yeah. you. <laughs> so I, I was trying to figure this out. So I got to UF in 2000. I think I stopped doing band 
marching band like 2002, 2003. I think I was only in it for like two or three years. I can't I can't remember exactly, but I, I was telling Dre about it. It was like, the Zook year, so you didn't keep count. <laughs> yeah, I, I was very much like <laughs> nine and three, that's all I, you know. I wanted <laughs> you know, as a student, I wanted to get the uh you know, the band, the marching band experience, you know, say, hey man, I, I've been on that field, on I've the looked field. up into the stands, yeah, I've like had 90,000 people screaming at me, it was like the most greatest thing of all time. And then I also wanted to be like, yeah, so I did sleep in on a Saturday, <laughs> I did not have to wake up at 8 a.m. For, for band practice, and I did get to do the tailgating and all that, sort. because I feel like that was the kind of the piece that you missed out on a lot of times, you didn't really get to do the party side of it, if you were, uh, <laughs> Mike's like, oh, well I did say, like, like going fast on the highway, just don't not, get caught. Not as, not as much, but man, right. there were some epic no, right. band trips yeah. and and some good times. Now our audience is listening, man. Like all these band nerds that are on this show. Yes, yes, we are. Yeah. Yes, we are. Yes. And I played trumpet during that during that time. So what what years were you? There? Uh, I was there from 03 to 06, and I actually marched mellophone, and I was mellophone section leader. Um, and that's where of actually where were. I met <laughs> where I met Mike Lafredo. Um, shout out to Michael. Yes, Mike Lafredo. Yeah. So, I don't know if you know Love this, him. but Mike introduced me to Shannon. To Shannon, really? And so Shannon's my wife, y'all. Like Michael Lafredo, <laughs> he's uh, responsible. He's responsible for our marriage, no dude, doubt about it. Dude, he's phenomenal, phenomenal human. Um, definitely one of my favorite humans. He's definitely going to listen to this yes. too. He's going to be like, "This crazy guy." <laughs> so shout um, out to Michael Lafredo. And then I actually, just like Colin mentioned, I, I decided to take my, my senior year off to kind of do the, the student thing, which was a terrible decision. I remember sitting in my theory <laughs> class of my junior year and we were going through getting ready for the next year. I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do it. We're getting a new band director. Like, I kind of want to just do my own thing. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, who then later became my fiance, who later became my wife, she was like, no, I'm gonna stay in March. I'm like, okay, well, you do your thing, and I'm gonna be sitting in the student section. And Ryan Vaselli, who is a saxophone player in my, we were in theory class together, and he looks at me and he says, we're going to the national championship next year. And I said, have you seen the same team that I've been watching for the last three years when I've been stuck in the band? Like, I'm just here to have fun. Like, it, nothing's gonna happen. So as a student, I sat in the stadium and we celebrated while my wife was in Arizona. That's right. I was, I was <laughs> at the national I was, championship. I was a row behind her. <laughs> yeah. we, Casey and I watched all the games together. Like we were yeah. game buddies. <laughs> she was a piccolo player. So I, I definitely regretted not continuing that year. And and Mr. Watkins, when he came in and has done a phenomenal job with the That's band, right. was like, "Hey, we, we want your boyfriend to like come back." And like he heard he was a section leader, like bring him back. And I was like, "No, absolutely not. I'm not doing it. Like I'm just going to be a student." And then the next year, I decided to come back and, as a graduate assistant. And I was the, <laughs> I was the GA for uh, the saxophone section from 07 to 09. So I still got a chance to go to a national championship. We enjoyed that that wamping on Oklahoma and that's right in Miami. So, but which is my, funny because that, that was actually 2007 was my the year that I transitioned to drumline. So the, the year that you came on as a grad <laughs> athlete was right. the year that I had left. Right. But. So I still got one, but she loves to tell the story that, well, I went to two national right. championships. Yeah. That's right, she did. <laughs> so, well, you know, I got to cut the net for the basketball national championship. So there you go. There you go. And I did, I did Man, all that. Was that. A great, yeah. that was a great season. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great era. That's a great time. The golden era. You know, so 2006, uh, so I, I did not go get to go to, to Arizona. And I wasn't in band. Anymore. Like, I was graduated by that point, right? right? Uh, so funny, because 2008, <laughs> 2007, 2008 season, like, it was in Miami. 
Yeah, that was 2008, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's funny. <laughs> this is like completely off topic at this point, but Shannon and I went to, to that national championship and, and we're down there with like my sister and everything and like, and Shannon's not having a drink tailgating. Mm-hmm. And my, <laughs> my sit, uh, this is like early on and Shannon like- I'm already I, doing I, the math. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, pre- the pregnancy, like my, my wife was pregnant at this point and my sister was like, why aren't you having a drink? Are you, are you pregnant? <laughs> like call, call, called Boom. out Shannon. That, that's when Shannon got called out on her pregnancy. Was at the national championship tailgate, and I'm sure she'll be glad that I told that story it's, to the it's, entire world. Okay. But you know. it's so crazy. We're like going back through memory lane, and I remember seeing like just as we mentioned different things. I remember seeing little pieces of these things on Facebook. Right. Yeah. And like I'm like it's just those 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 memories that are coming back because I mean obviously back then Facebook was just for college kids right and it, well, I mean you didn't have the ability to post <laughs> photos there until I don't even remember right? what year it's just but it wasn't statuses that every, yeah all over the place right. it, really showing the age good there, times but, yeah. Yeah. Hey. And that's when you got to see everybody's status because <laughs> right, right. Facebook was so new it's different different time y'all and that's, <laughs> uh, that's when we still had MySpace pages too like yours calling all the girls <laughs> <laughs> what's so funny about that. <laughs> I swear. Hey, I don't know if you guys remember this, but the Facebook timeline like used to stop. Like you like get it to did the stop. End. It did. You, you, you got to the end. Yeah, and to the you're end like, of like, it. Okay. Like you literally wake up in the morning and Sarah like, has no idea. See She's everything. Like, <laughs> and be like, oh, this is where I left off last night before I went to bed. This is where I can start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now the there's there's, yeah, no, there's, there's, there's no there's no way. There's been a lot of changes. <laughs> a lot of changes over there. Uh, this is this is great. I, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, we could just ramble on about like go down memory lane, and I would be perfectly happy. So one thing that didn't change is we're back in the Heisman and national championship. Uh, consideration now. Well, I, yeah, did you I mean, see, it did change. Did I did see uh, okay. it's popping up right. on my screen. Devontae well, Smith uh, won yeah. the Heisman. Congratulations, sir. For, You're yeah. a phenomenal athlete. First, first wide receiver in history. And so, I mean, like this is actually going to release on the 18th. Um, so, so well, he's, those he's listening a, to this. He's, um, a third, he's a third wide receiver. To, to, to win it. To win the Heisman. Yeah. That's cool. First since Squ- Desmond Howard. Squ- okay, but he was pre- predominantly a, a <laughs> defensive back. I'm, it, but he's currently a wide okay, receiver. Okay, I don't know. So <laughs> who's the, who was the first then? I don't know. I'm not going to argue with I you. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Sports, sports, sports I, was sure. I was pretty sure he was he was going to be the first, but but I, we'll have to look this off. Uh, look this up off record. I'm just saying ESPN is telling me he's the third. He's the third. He's wide a third receiver. Alabama. He's the no, third wide receiver. He's a third wide receiver to win the Heisman Trophy, and the first since Desmond Howard in 1991. Dang. All right. Well, well, I'll I'll stand corrected right now, but I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say that <laughs> I'm gonna do my homework after this episode. Shenanigans on this one, but anyway, um, that just happened. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I'm just I'm really excited about this. So you guys, there's actually a lot more to talk about. Yeah, there's <laughs> Dre, Dre, is, Dre is a phenomenal human being. He's done so much, but like, well, one, I was super proud of you, dude. Like when I heard of everything happening last year and Florida Teacher of the Year, like all, that, I was like, man, like. One, I already knew you were a great human being, but I'm like, man, this guy's a great human being, y'all. <laughs> I appreciate and, that. And I reached out and I was like, man, like if you're ever back in Gainesville, I know you like probably don't come through very often, but if you do, like let me know. And and of course, I was like lining up shows for 2021, and I reached out because it's kind of a, it's still kind of a break time or sure. the end of a break. It was like. Like I'm coming through, I do. Like <laughs> let's yes, do it. let's do this because because you know I know we we could do interviews via Zoom and do a lot of the things that you see other podcasts do, and that's perfectly fine. But I love uh, having people in our little studio here. And yeah. Like it's, I don't know, it's just a different experience. It's fun, right? Like it's just it's just fun. So adds a level of intimacy. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, it, you can dig in and you can really like get into the nitty gritty, whereas like you feel there's a barrier. 
with that, I mean, with the screen in front of you, it's like, okay, yeah, it's awesome that I'm talking to this person who might be hundreds of miles away from me, but like, where's the, where's the human connection? Right. So well, no, I'm with you. The energy is just different. Way too. different. Like, it's just different. Like, I, I don't yeah. know. I can't explain it, you guys. If you ever get an opportunity to come on our show, <laughs> take it. Because it's like, <laughs> it's, like it, it, it's great. Like, there's just a, a different energy, a different vibe. And and I've also told a lot of people, like, when I think about why I created this podcast. So, the, the just to kind of give everybody a little background on the show. Um, one of the reasons I really focused on video first was because I was already doing a ton of video marketing. We were doing a ton of video marketing in the in the dealership, right? Showing a lot of content. And I had, like, I've been on Facebook since 2004. <laughs> so like, Same. <laughs> Same. so you know, like I, I understood Facebook marketing. I was like, you know, I want to create a great studio experience. I want to be able to show this experience off and I want to be able to capture, uh, capture the Gainesville business owners, the leaders in this community. I want to gra- I want to grasp their attention. I want people to be like, "Wow, that looks amazing." Like that that's that's cool that this is happening here. And when I think about our missions and some of the things that we're trying to accomplish, one of the things that we really want to accomplish is attracting experienced talent, attracting investors, attracting entrepreneurs, attracting the very best in the world to Gainesville. Like having them literally come here like to be on this show is like one of my one of my dreams. So you know what better way to be like oh like we want you on our show but you got to be in our studio uh, right <laughs> like, like, like like let's make this happen and that's not to say that we won't ever like we've done some zoom stuff in the past and that's not to say that we won't ever but like my long-term vision is to have a really cool yeah. studio and the setup. zoom was good for what it was yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah there's no knocking on it but like no, i no, think of that they, like you know we talked about the intimacy but also yeah, exactly. having the reliability of of the technology that we have here in studio versus as good as technology can be when you're dealing with people in different internet connections and neighbors with leaf blowers and all of the kids and cats and all the things that can happen during a Zoom uh, you know, meeting or whatever, like you just you just never know what can happen. And so having True. some control over the the quality of production I think is also yeah. you know really good. But. So much fun. So now I want to hear it all. Like I mean yeah. walk, walk us through like Yeah, the, tell us this journey, oh, this man. incredible journey. <clears throat> Definitely it, last year, but I mean, I mean, well, we haven't even gotten the origin story. I mean, other than yeah, the, the mar- <laughs> marching band, but marching like, band since school, like what's what is the story? Like, I, I, so I find that the best place to start is like kind of the tail end of high school, because um, I was I, I was bando commando when I was in high school. I loved band. I did the whole sports thing like the freshman year and whatnot. But I was like, no, music's my thing, and so I was committed drum major, librarian, section leader, in the reverse order of those. Um, and my senior year, <clears throat> I decided I'm going to Florida. Like, I'm gonna be a doctor, I'm gonna be an anesthesiologist, and uh, and that's that's what I'm gonna do. And so you go to the top school for medicine in, in the state. So I applied, got accepted, everything was great. I was walking across the stage for our senior award notables with my band director, and she gave me the most likely to be a band director award. So that was <laughs> we we laughed about that, right? <laughs> and, uh, and then she she's like, "Hey, don't go far. You got another award coming." And I received the John Philip Sousa Award. When she gave me that award, she's like, "This guy thinks he's going to be a doctor." but I'm here to tell you he's gonna be a band director. And I looked at her, I was like, challenge accepted. Like, no, I'm, I'm going to Florida. <laughs> if I was gonna be, if I, if I was going to be, and at the time, she was a graduate from Florida State. So I was like, if I was just gonna only do music, I'd go to Florida State. Like, I, I'm going to be a doctor of medicine, which is why I'm going to Florida. So 
went to Florida. Now, mind you, I still auditioned for the School of Music because that was also what I wanted to do. So I double majored in microbiology and music ed. So came in, was doing my thing because I graduated from IB. I was already two years ahead, so I got my gen eds out of the way and was just working. But then I found my junior year that I was doing, like everything I was doing outside of school, so outside of marching band, outside of classes and all that stuff, was it revolved around teaching music. I was an assistant choral director at Gainesville High School whenever they had their transition from their longtime chorus director. Um, I came in and worked with, I believe her name was Rochelle Savitz. I, I can't, can't remember her name, I, I, that, that sounds right. Um, <laughs> But so I assisted her, also was helping out Dave Olson over at Lincoln Middle School with his middle school band and orchestra. And then I was teaching elementary steel drum bands at Duval Elementary um, at the time too. So everything was revolving around teaching. I also was teaching at World Martial Arts Center, which is now out in the Newberry area, and was serving as their curriculum director and the head of their their, their kids' curriculum uh, area and their demo team instructor. And so I'm like, man, everything I'm doing revolves around teaching, but you know, I'm I'm still, I'm, I'm staying, staying the course, I'm gonna be a doctor. <laughs> and then I had one of those those pivot points, one of those, those aha moments when I was working with one of my private lesson students we were working on this move for him because he was constantly getting like top five in his competitions. And at this time, we were both competitive, professional competitive martial artists. So we were traveling the world competing with our team Full Circle, which is based out of Jacksonville. And he was competing at high levels. And Ronnie was <clears throat> working on, on what he's doing. Shout out to Ronnie Smith. Shout out to Don Smith, his mother, who is still here. And I think Jamie Smith is also here. Also, Legacy Gators. They're phenomenal humans. Um, but... Ronnie was working on this move and we were like, okay, man, we can put this in, but the chances of you winning with this move are, are slim to none because you can't, you can't do the move. And so if you can imagine, you want to paint a picture, imagine like you take your broomstick and you knock off the broom part, the sweepy part, and you have a bow staff. So Donatello, the purple ninja turtle, that was his weapon. <laughs> and so the, in order for him to break that barrier of top three, he had to do something that was outrageous because it's just the consistency piece was there for all of those high level athletes. And so what he was going to do was he was going to throw the bow up in the air, spin around twice, land on a knee and catch the weapon. So, but in his division, the black belt division for this, and they called it extreme weapons at the time. Um, if you drop your weapon, you're automatically disqualified. So he's working on it, working on it, working on it. And he's like catching it maybe 40% of the time. So, I mean, as educators, we know 40% is an F. So <laughs> as, as, the, as the instructor, I'm not gonna put an F's worth of quality out on, on, on the performance floor. Like I don't want you to like be embarrassed and like not succeed because you're doing something that's like not going to succeed. And finally he came up to me, he's like, I really wanna do it. And I was like, you know what? This is your thing, man. You, you've taken ownership, you've busted your butt. If you wanna do it, Go ahead and do it, and if if it if it drops, it drops. If it doesn't, like you know that 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 could potentially be really great. Well, we get up to um, Diamond Nationals in Minnesota, and he's getting to this part of the form, and his mother and I are like standing here with like our hands clenched, like white knuckled, <laughs> holding our breath. He gets, he throws it up, spins around, boom, he nails it. Everybody goes crazy. They've never seen anything like this before. She and I are crazy. We're hugging. She's crying. We're shouting and stuff. And so he still has like another 20 seconds left of his form to do. And like, we're, we're nobody's paying it. You're like, did y'all just see what just happened? And you're like, dude, he's still got like more stuff to do. Like, what's happening? <laughs> and so he finishes, he does his salutation and he walks out of the ring. And so then he comes and he like beelines towards us. So of course I'm thinking, you know, he's going to like love on his mom because you know, she's the reason he's alive. And then like, and I'll be able to like dap him up and stuff afterwards. But he comes straight for me, 
wraps me in his arms and he just looks up at me with like tears in his eyes. And he's like, sensei, thank you. And I was like, whoa, like what is he thanking me for? Like I, all I did was provide him with an opportunity to, to, to be encouraged, to, be, to feel supported, to really to, to, to accomplish what he wanted to do. And that's when it hit me. It's like, you know, without your influence and your consistency in that provision of fundamentals, he may not have accomplished what clearly has been a dream of his. And that was whenever I realized that that like my, my purpose, my passion, my responsibility, ultimately when I look back hindsight as an older person, my ministry is, is to educate, is to teach. And so we flew back to Gainesville that weekend Monday morning, went into Mutlu's office. I was like, yo, Mutlu. <laughs> Shout out to Mutlu Chitim Kepik, um, who is still the academic advisor, undergraduate academic advisor for the University of Florida School of Music. Uh, and I was like, hey, I'm dropping microbiology. And she looked at me, she's like, what, what are you doing? Like, you're crazy. I'm like, no, yeah, I'm, I'm all done. It's, I'm, I'm, just doing, I'm just doing music ed. And she's like, what, what are you talking about? I was like, well, I, that's what I need to be doing. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. And the rest is kind of history in terms of the trajectory. And I'll talk specifics about it. But, and that's not to say, and I, I, wanna, I wanna clarify, because of the musical influence of my high school band director, that is where the preferential desire for Florida State would have come from. I had a phenomenal experience in the University of Florida School of Music, and I wish other educators would get the experience that I had from being at Florida. The intimate care of, of the smaller schools, the world-class educators who were there. I believe Dr. Tim Brophy is still in the school, like not at the School of Music, but he's still working for the university. He's moved on like the head of data everything. Uh, I mean, when you say Dr. Russell Robinson to anyone who's anyone about music education, you know his impact on the world. I mean, it's just, we had some phenomenal instructors. Uh, Dr. Charles Hoffer, I mean, it's, you name it. Shout out to Dr. Helton in the saxophone studio. I gave him a hard time as an undergrad. <laughs> I know he got tired of me sight reading my lessons. Um, and so, but I, it's, I, I give him huge props for, for putting up with me during, during that time and, and kicking my butt through that. But um, and also there, there's two more who I wanna give a huge shout out to uh, who were really integral to my life as an undergrad. And that's not to say there are so many other professors who were there now and who were there when I was there who are, who are just so, so important. Um, but specifically, Dr. Paul Basler, Dr. Leslie Odom, they will always have my heart. I just, they were there for me as, as a freshman and just bloomed into an incredible relationship. But so, so to make sure to, to, like to leave that, Odom, that real point. Quick, real quick. Let, oh, geez, let, here we go. Here we go. So you didn't we, know we, that Leslie Odom talked to Dr. Dre? Uh-huh. <laughs> we, we live in the same neighborhood. Oh, man. <laughs> and like, and like, and everything's, everything's cool, but like, uh, you know, when, I, when Shannon and I were dating and Uh-oh. like, hey guys, she'd be like, get a room already. <laughs> like, what are you, oh. what are you guys going to get married? Like, <laughs> you know, this time we're like, uh, like it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny looking back oh, at yeah. the professors or that time right. and the impact that they have. And like, I mean, I know it was joking, but it's, it's kind of cool to see like, oh, now, now Shannon and I are happily married and right. we see Dr. Odom in our, <laughs> in our neighborhood. <laughs> it's, it's quite funny. Yeah. No, uh, she's, she's awesome. Great. But um, so then my, I continued on, did my master's, stayed at Florida, got a chance to, to learn more. 
Uh, and then I was approached by my high school band director who said, hey, uh, what are you doing next year? I was like, I'm looking for a job. And she's like, well, I'm gonna be opening a brand new school. I want you to come take over for me at King. And so I got not only got to be a high school band director, which was, which was always a, a dream of mine as well, but I got to be the high school band director at my alma mater. And so I was there for, cool. for 11 years. In the 11th year, I was selected as the King High School Teacher of the Year for the second time. Uh, then I moved on to finalist for Hillsborough County for the second time. So it happened back in 2012 as well. Um, but then in 2012, I was not selected to represent the county. It actually was um, another person who was at Spoto who actually graduated from King High School as well two years prior to me. So I knew her as a student, then knew her as a professional, and she was selected to represent the county. And um, in which that was also the year, oddly enough, that the Tampa Bay Times released the winners prior, like on the morning of the event. Oh, really? Yeah, it was this oh, great, like this huge debacle. So people, I was walking around all day and they're like, did you see the paper? But like, I don't read the newspaper. It's like, did you see the paper? I'm like, no, what happened? And they're like, oh, nothing. <laughs> like literally everyone who I came in, oh, nothing. And like, why are you asking me? Like, so what's no one, going no on? Spilled. No one would tell me. And so then ultimately I found out, they're like, oh yeah, they posted the winners in, in, in the Tampa Bay Times. Ahead of time. And so oh, I literally spent, but before we got to the event, I had like two hours before I needed to report and so I drove around from gas station to gas station to store to store, trying to find a newspaper. They were nowhere to be found. So I'm like, well, I guess I need to. I guess I just have to wait. And so then I, the, the nothing was spoiled for me. I found out that I was not selected at the event, which is what was supposed to happen. But I'm a huge believer in that everything happens for a reason. And honestly, I was not mature enough, and did not. Have, I lacked the perspective that I was able to glean over the next seven years of being an educator that allowed me to be effective in my position over last year. And so then uh, in 2019, I was selected as the Hillsborough County Teacher of the Year and then w went on to be to serve this previous school year as the Florida Teacher of the Year. And I gotta tell you, it's I've always had big dreams. <clears throat> and so my goal was to be the first Teacher of the Year to make it to all 67 counties. And there are 67 counties, but there are 74 districts in the state of Florida. And each county has their own representative, but then the seven at-large districts, I'll call them, uh, are the Florida School for the Deaf and the Blind, Florida Virtual, the Department of Corrections, and then the four laboratory schools at FAU, FAMU, FSU, and, and UF, PK Young. And so each of those schools, each of those districts submit a Teacher of the Year representative to go on to represent them in the, the state runoffs and, and, and that, that side of things. So my goal was to be the first one to go to all 74 areas. And March 4th, I returned home from my final visit and I was doing like little selfies with all of them and I would post and just celebrate them because I, I feel like as the teacher of the year, your job's not for you to be celebrated, your job is to celebrate others who are doing incredible things around around the state. Sure. It's like you, you were selected, but it's not about you. And I guess that's that's just a me thing. But, um, and not saying that, oh Lord have mercy, I don't want things to be misinterpreted. <laughs> that's not to say that other other teachers, former teachers of the year did not elevate elevate their other teachers in the profession. I'm just saying that was, that was the way I, I looked at it. Um, but I got home on the on the the fourth of March, took a picture with a with a poster that I had of me as the seventy fourth 
Teacher of the Year, so celebrated Hillsborough County, and then the next Wednesday, March March thirteenth, a state of emergency was declared, and all travel stopped. Isn't that crazy? So I accomplished that goal literally a week prior to to the the, the shutdown, and it was maybe a week and a half after the fourth that uh, that I was approached about moving to the Department of Education to take over to take over uh, the the choice office and it's just been an incredible learning opportunity and an incredible experience of learning more ways to advocate for all students across the state so it, it's just been it's it's been an awesome life and you know I I don't take for granted uh, the the compliment, the high praise that you you provide of being a, a great human. Um, but you know, there, there's still more, and I feel like there's still more that I can do for for others and for education and. and being an advocate for for our students, and really that that's what it's all about. I, I tell people all the time, it's like my time is over. I'm I've already gone through the quote unquote system. Now it's my time to try and help other young students really realize and become the best versions of themselves by advocating and changing a system so that it is it is it works to benefit all students regardless of color creed religion mm-hmm. ethnicity i mean you name it education is a human right as as the most sentient beings on the planet it is we are we are we should be afforded an opportunity to grow into the best version of ourselves and it is our jobs of ed- as educators to to make that happen and to facilitate that regardless of where you come from. But I'm sure I'll get back on that, uh, that soapbox later <laughs> on. you get an amen show. from me on yeah. that one. Yeah. <laughs> Love it, man. Uh, what, like, what are the character-defining things that make the Florida Teacher of the Year? Like, what was it that led to like you getting this great accomplishment? Do you, you know, have an this idea? Is, this is the same question that I dreaded whenever they interviewed the five finalists. Okay. Um, the, the question that I was always afraid of. Did they was, ask it or was calling the oh, first? Oh, no, they did. No, okay, no, no, they no, asked no. it. And it's, and I remember it. Like Just so it you know, yesterday. I hate asking questions that everybody right. else asks. Like, I'm, I'm always the guy who's trying to, like, come up with a question, you know, think of the well, stuff that nobody else actually asks. But well, I'm, I'm you, actually really fascinated to know, like. Sure. Well, and, I, and I'll tell you how they framed or how the question was asked. It's, okay. Essentially, that's the why me question. Mm-hmm. And that was the one that, that I, I was always afraid of because as an adult, I've been hyper aware of how I am perceived because as a high school kid, I was that cocky kid. I was that, oh, I made all state. I'm first chair this. I'm first chair all county. I'm doing this. Like, there's nobody better than me in music at my school. Like, I'm doing this and I'm doing, and me, me, me. And it, it was all always about me. And it was, and I don't say this to be a braggart, but it's one of those things where there are so many things that I have had the opportunities to do well at. I mean, I was a state and national championship or state and national martial arts champion before I became an adult. Like, it's just that was, it was something I, I took hold of. I was an athlete, like I was a great musician. So it just- Was that a natural drive? It like, was, okay, it, it, it just, was just that, like that natural, in, in that, that push to, to excel and to succeed. Like no one was gonna outwork me, no one was gonna be better than me. If I saw somebody that was better than me in something that I wanted to be great at, I'm gonna work until I'm better than them. So it, it came from a work ethic, but if you don't have someone telling you, hey, you, you've, gotta, you've gotta relax, in which, and, Props to my mom and dad, who constantly their their phrase and their their motto and their mantra for what they continuously poured into me was, "You aren't better than anybody else, but nobody else is better than you." 
And so you can stand toe to toe with everybody, but you've got to make sure you keep keep your your perspective in lock. As a teenage kid, I wasn't listening to that part of it. I was like, yeah, nobody's better than me. Like, what? No, I, I got this. And so then you get to college and everybody was drum major. And, and that was one of those Matt Sexton things. It was. I remember. I know uh-huh. exactly what you're talking about. He would, We would sit in. We'd. Oh, cheer drum. <laughs> get on our level. No, yeah. we would, he would sit us down. Perfect timing. He'd sit us down first day of band camp. And he would say, some people in here are going to meet people who they will marry and spend the rest of their life with. To which I was like, there's no way. There's no way I'm marrying somebody from Gator Band. Check. And then, right. And then the next year, I look across from the telephone section across the field to the back hash, and I see the piccolos, and there's this hot blonde girl in blue, a Gator blue shirt and some orange Sophie shorts. And I was like, I need to get to know her. Um, and, and the next thing he would the other say thing he said, yeah. is he would say, all right, stand up if you were in your all-county band. And like basically everyone Everybody. would stand up. So, okay, keep standing Not if me. you I were. I sat down. He'd <laughs> <laughs> say, like, stand up if you were in all-county. Still a good number of people. Stand up if you were drum major. You can all see you're all on the same level. So there should, there, there's no room for right. egos. Like we're all here to do the same thing together. We're a family. Mm-hmm. So you sat down. And, like, and that was so powerful for me. And also going into the saxophone studio and being that kid who I didn't have to necessarily practice, like it just, it was always natural. And I was, I was the uh, principal chair, all county, my senior year, saxophonist for like for, for Hillsborough, which was huge county. I'm like, okay, I got this. And then Michael Boniface came and he and I were accepted into the University of Florida together. Dr. Boniface, miss you, great guy. Um, and he basically showed me that I wasn't crap on saxophone. And I was like, you know, okay, all right, well, maybe I'm not the, the greatest at everything. <laughs> but it was just that opportunity to gain that humility and, and to really understand the, the value and the importance of being humble has been something that is, I, I have tried to keep at the forefront of my mind. So when I'm asked the why me question, circling back to how we got on that tangent, um, I'm always hyper aware to not make it about myself. Because I really feel like as a teacher, it's our job to be the conduit for our students to achieve success. And so when people ask, what is it that makes you great? It's nothing that I've done, it's my students. I'm not evaluated by anything I do, I'm evaluated how my students perform. And so my job is to provide my students with an opportunity to gain some type of experience. So every two years we would take a trip that is somewhere where they've never been before. We went to Washington DC by bus, I believe. Yes, we took that one by bus, that was a long bus ride. (laughs) We went to New Orleans, we went to Tennessee, flew to New York. That was the first time a number of students from what's called the Fishbowl in Tampa, Florida, got a chance to ride on a plane. Those experiences were important. Those kids worked hard to earn a spot to perform at Carnegie Hall. Not because of me. Like, yeah, I made the contacts and it was like, hey, we, can, we potentially can submit something. But that was all them. That, that was their push, their drive. They're the ones who are performing. I just waved my hands around. At any point in time, <laughs> if they decided to stop looking at me and to just bomb, they could. But why didn't they have those opportunities before? Well, uh, Sherry Sleeper, my band director, still gave them those opportunities. But just you think about areas because King High School is in a, it's a Title I area school. And so you look at that demographic and you look at people who already count those kids out 
It's you look at an area that doesn't have the same resources that other places do, and it takes a certain level of hustle and commitment and, and dedication and push to be able to afford those students those opportunities. And it's difficult when you're in it to get other people who aren't in it on the outside to really understand and then believe in the importance of it. Another question I was asked was, what do I feel is the greatest issue with education? And a lot of people are like, oh, money and resources. But I don't think that's it. It's the fact that we as a society don't value education. People who are engulfed in education value education. Mm -hmm. People who are outside of it couldn't care less about it. They don't understand the impact that teachers make on a daily basis to the direction of every single child's life. If a teacher, we can all, especially those of us in band, you can remember that band director who was like super influential to you, Absolutely. but you can also remember that band director who maybe had some perspectives and, and, a, and a focus that wasn't necessarily student driven. It's like, oh, we're gonna get the superior, like you're gonna work and you're gonna, and they make your life miserable and you have this phenomenal performance and then you leave and you're like, I'm never touching my instrument again. Right. That's Every right. teacher has that power. And so whenever I meet someone who is an advocate against education, my first thought is, who hurt you? What mm -hmm. teacher made you hate education? And if every teacher was able to provide that passion, that enjoyment of education, it would change the landscape of, of, of our entire country, of the world. Because you put your finances, you put your resources towards things you value. And so if there was ever an indication of whether or not we value education, it's look at our, look at our nation across the board, that the resources necessary for every child to receive an equitable education that is tailored directly to what they need is not always there. Mm -hmm. And it's just, and that's, that is what it is, and it's not just a, it's not just the it's not just the the students and and their needs, but it's also you've got to facilitate the people who are supposed to be instructing, and you know that's why and and I'm thankful for the initial steps that are that have been taken by our state to start to elevate that expectation of of where where our teachers are, and I and I I'm a firm believer that this is a first step by by increasing the the minimum teacher salary for for our new teachers and. Logically, at least for me, being someone who's thinking ahead and looking at next steps, the next are for our veteran teachers. So it's like you can only do so much in a limited amount of time. But when you have that first step that's being taken, then the anticipation, is, okay, well, what next? Like, what are we coming? And so if we, if we look at it from that positive lens, then that allows us to, to be anxious and to, to know that, okay, maybe, you know what? There is greater still coming for education. But, I, and... Going back to that why me question, mm -hmm. um, I, I remember sitting at a table in the DOE, people around, and they were like, why you? And so I could have talked about all the lessons that I do and incorporating every other content domain into my lesson, but they already saw a video of all that. They've seen my resume. They've seen all these other elements. And, you know, and I started down that, down that track. I was like, but you know what? It's not about me. And I stopped and I'll never forget because Dr. Paul Burns was sitting on my right. He's the closest person to me and he's the one who asked me this question. And I said, it's important for the demographic that is the lowest performing in our state, the, the male of African descent, who is statistically the lowest performing in our state. It's important for them to see someone who looks like them be in a position that's considered a position of success. And it's so important for us to understand that representation matters. Mm -hmm. Representation matters. I had I was in a conversation with a 
um, a friend's student uh, whenever, like it was probably about two years ago, and he asked me, he's like, you know, I just don't understand. I, I don't get, why do you need BET? And why do you need all these <laughs> other things that are like specific for, for black people? Which, and, I, and I've had my own um, kind of cultural awareness to that term black, but that, that's another conversation, which we can get into later. Uh, <laughs> but like, I don't understand. I said, well, let me, let's, let me, let me, offer some perspective because I am I'm all about mind shift mindset mm. shifting mm. and and that's why I I don't know that I've ever had a conversation as an adult I don't know that I've ever had a difficult conversation that was too much for me to handle and that I didn't want to engage in and get deeper because I want to know why you think the way you think sure. because I'm a firm believer too in that we are all victims of our experience and I was criticized once for using the term victim but you don't choose what family you're born into. My ears perked when you said that, yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't choose the environment that you grow up in. You choose how you can react to it, but that's also a result of how you are raised and how you're cultivated and how you're nurtured and in the nature that you grow up in. But we are all victims and we are results of our experiences. Being a victim is not necessarily a bad thing. We look at it in our society as a negative connotation, sure. but, but a victim just means that you have no control over what's happening mm -hmm. to you. So if we're looking at this at the strip all the emotion out of it, logically, we are all victims of our experiences. But I acknowledge that and I don't judge based off of how your initial reaction and how, how you how you choose to view me. I mean it's and I was saying this to I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but I was saying this to a group of young African American males that we were talking to. I said, Yeah, I have four degrees. I, I'm a fairly educated person. I would argue that I've been a fairly successful person by any standards. But when I walk down the sidewalk and I'm wearing my do-rag and my tank top and my shorts because I'm headed to work out, people don't see a person who has two master's degrees and a PhD who's working on his next ed doctorate and applying for a DMA. They don't see that person who values education. They don't see the person who was a success where he was in his hometown and has now relocated his family to continue to, they, they don't see that. And once again, I'm not seeing all those accolades to, to, to beef myself up. They see a person who looks differently from them, who by their experience may or may not be threatening. And so we have to understand that it is, that mentality and those experience comes from some type of event or, or how they were raised and, and all those things. And then we have to make a conscious decision on how we respond to that. And so you can choose to either meet, meet that with with more force, or you can choose to provide grace in order to afford them the opportunity to demonstrate that they have a desire to learn. Now, obviously there are people who you, you can't change their mindset. And I've gotten a lot of discussions with people like that too. And eventually I'm like, you know what? I can't help your ignorance. You, you choose not to, not to look at the facts and not to look outside of what your bubble is. That's cool, that's on you, you know what? God bless you, you do your thing, man. I'm good, it's, your life doesn't affect and doesn't impact my life. Mm. But if you're willing to have this conversation, then let's do it. And I feel like that has been much more powerful in my life of changing the mindsets of individuals who treated me differently just based off of the way that I looked. And I could get into some personal things, but I don't want, I don't want to dishonor the relationships that I've been able to build in some specific situations, but those who know, understand that I'm referring to them right now, but I'm thankful that we've been able to move forward and grow our relationships regardless of how they felt about me before. 
And so I think that's that's just representation matters, and that's something that we've got to keep at the forefront now more than ever, in my opinion, especially when we look at the landscape of our of our society. And really, I mean, it, regardless of what side of the spectrum you're on, we as a country don't just treat people like humans. Everyone with a heartbeat, with a sentient mind, deserves the opportunity to live a life of freedom. It's written in our constitution. But everyone doesn't get that opportunity. And it's just, I, I don't, I don't, I, I just, I don't get it. It's been really difficult for me. And maybe it's because of the experience that I was a victim of. And, and you know, it, it's my parents were always pushing for what they felt was greater and what, what how they wanted to give us those better opportunities and than, than what they had. And they want us, to, want us to have more. And we, I want to pour into you differently. Like we, we it just, and they had that expectation, which, and I'm so thankful for the life that they provided and they afforded me because I understand what sacrifice is. And I understand that I, with everything that I have accomplished, I still want more for my daughter. And I want her to have those things. I want her to do more. I want to push her. I want to provide her with, with those resources and things that she needs. And also not everybody can do that. And so it's just having that, that grounded, realistic view that is so significant in, in understanding how we as people should interact in order to elevate the community. And, it, and it's just, but it's, we, we live in a selfish society. And it, it, but it's not about us. Cause like, you know what? In like a hundred years, hopefully in a hundred years, <laughs> I'll be gone. And you know, and it's, I tell my, kid this all, my kids this all the time. King High School was here before you got here. King High School be here after you leave. It's about what what are you doing in your four years that you're here? How old are your kids? Um, I, I just have I have one seven year old daughter. Okay. Yeah, and she's phenomenal. She's my heartbeat. So I mean, it's, it really sounds like you had a very uh, positive, influential family yeah. on your life. Yeah. And I think that that's such a critical component. Huge. Right? And Huge. so like when I look at somebody like yourself that is a, in a role as a teacher, like like teachers, coaches, like like you said, you, you have that band director that, you're, that you remember that had that impact on you, right? Like mm-hmm. they, have, they have such, they do have critical and important roles. Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of the times there's this uh, pressure on teachers to almost fill a parental role, <laughs> right? Like, isn't, isn't that just the reality? Like, uh, because I, I when I say I, too, that, that came into light a lot as we navigated COVID where, oh. where people were trying to figure out like, Oh, what do I do with my kids now? Because be they, flexible. Yeah. Because, because the teachers were the parents right. for, for a long portion of the day. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I say this as somebody that didn't have kids, but this is as, as we did the coronavirus sessions and stuff like that. These are things that I remember where it's just like uh, that going mm-hmm. through this pandemic and seeing that that relationship between educator yeah. and parent and and how that uh, was it a drop off with you know, these flexibility changes that had to happen I don't know it was, yeah. it was a huge part of the whole thing well I mean you think about the memes and things that jokingly you see at the end of like the winter break it's like all right you can have your kids now or the teachers who post the memes right. like and now te- now the parents understand <laughs> what we deal with every day right. and but it's that extended and exacerbated and I think there was never a greater opportunity. And that's what I try and explain to, or I, I say explain, but I, I try and to promote that what we've experienced this year is an opportunity to reevaluate and to 
redesign what education looks like. And at the end of the day, you, we, hear the, we hear the adage that it takes a village to mm -hmm. raise a child, mm -hmm. but we don't really believe it. Or we don't act it anyway. Yeah, yeah, we don't. We, we, we can say it, those are great words to say, but if we're not engaging all facets of our community to provide for our students, then it's, it's a moot point and, it, and it, it means nothing. They're literally just, just lifeless words. But you look at this demographic of, of people, this profession of education, and you literally, are, you're saying to them, save us, hmm. save us. Because if you don't keep doing your job, looking down the road, we've got this generation of student who was not afforded the same quality education. But then it's so important that while, okay, you say, yeah, we'll save you, remember us whenever we're on the other side of this. <laughs> and that's one thing that I am, I'm thankful that we have a commissioner who understands the value of, of, of educators and understands that teachers are, they're, they're the cornerstone. And I know there are lots of people have different vantage points, different views of, of different people, and, and you, can, you can look at all those things and that's great, but no one can argue that teachers are the ones who are facilitating the change. They're the ones who are facilitating those life-changing experiences that we talked about earlier. If, if I hadn't had the chance to provide those experiences, those opportunities for my students, I mean, they, they still would have made it through and they would have gotten by, but did I, did I add value to their life? And I would, like to think, I would like to think that I did. And I think that's such an important role. I just literally, the other day, I was talking with a, a teacher who came to me and she said, I need your advice. I said, yeah, sure, what's up? She said, I had a, got into school today, welcome back from winter break, and I get a letter from a student. And this letter is talking about how over the last two weeks, this student was threatened because of, because of their, their identity by, by the people who are literally charged to, to protect them by their parents and say, hey, well, no, you're not this. And if you say you are, then we're going to, we're going to strike you. And, it's, and, and you look at things, you look at situations like that and you have to understand, we've got to look globally. This is not an isolated event. And you look at the statistics and had a chance to listen to First Lady Casey DeSantis talk about this the other day. And she just, she said it so eloquently. In the time of, the, since we've been on remote learning, instances and reports have dropped. That's because the people reporting the incidents of abuse and whatnot are the teachers. Right. <laughs> and so, and, and this is not to, this is not to take away from the concern that many educators have for being in an environment that potentially puts them at risk. I think that is, that's such a valid um, opinion, that's such a valid viewpoint, perspective. I did not mean opinion, I apologize if that offends anybody. But that's such a, it's an, it's an important perspective. But I also think it's, it's important that we are providing the same equity to our students as we, as we are our teachers. And so for those that are comfortable being in, how are we facilitating an opportunity for them to continue to be the effective teachers that they've demonstrated that they could be? And this is, this is a time for collaboration, not division. Mm -hmm. And when, when, we see, when we see people choosing to take this as, as, a, as a divisional time, that's whenever you run into to those difficulties. So it's exactly what you've talked about. Yeah, it, students and families that are, that are at risk, that, that, that are, are 
suffering or potentially could suffer from exposure to the, to the virus, they need to be at home. They need to be kept safe, but they also need to be provided the opportunities to continue their education. But then also on the flip side of that, that those same teachers who are also, who are still people. And I think that's what we like fail to understand is that teachers are the parents with children. But because of their chosen profession, they lose that equity piece. And, and I think that's, that's just, that, that's where the challenges have presented themselves. And so uh, kudos to, to those, those areas with Florida being a local operated state who were able to, to afford their, their teachers with, with the opportunities for equity and continue to, to push for that. And, and I think that's, that's such an important piece of everything. You were probably, I think, I think you might have been getting ready to make a, another point when you were talking about the relationship between teachers and students before I, I brought it up with COVID. I don't know if I derailed you, but. Uh, I just think that there's a huge uh, responsibility put on teachers to almost be the parents of, of the students, right? And and ultimately, like when I when I think kind of diving back into the, the, the victim word and a lot of the foundation, like I, I look at a lot of this as like foundational issues. Sure. And I think the foundation mm-hmm. sure. is not necessarily in the classroom, it's at home first. I don't disagree with that. Right, I so, and, I, and, I, and I see a lot of the things, like a lot of it has to do with parenting or like uh, not having parents or having a divided family. And, and, and I, I think a lot of this kind of creates the mindset you know, you're talking talking about mindset. Like that's a lot of that creates the like poor me and the victim the the victim yeah. mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I like I just look at uh, the world and I and I look at I mean I look at you know friends exactly like you who are doing incredible things and I know that you don't have the mindset of uh, like poor me or you know like my or, or whatever like it's like you don't have a like a victim mentality of. Uh, uh, and kind of going into race because you're an African American man. I don't see you having this mindset of because I'm African American, I'm at a disadvantage. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. But like, I don't see that through your speech, through through the way you approach life. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. But I will. I, it's time for transparency. You know, yeah. and, and that's one thing I love about. Uh, just decisions I made. I'm unapologetically myself, and so we we can we can definitely go there. Um, you don't see it because I don't allow you to see it. I don't use I don't use my ethnicity as, and you'll hear me anytime I, I talk about the different colors of our skin. I don't believe that we are different races. We're the human race, right? But there are different Love ethnicities it. that do accompany different biological differences, and we don't talk about bone density and all that other kind of nonsense. Sure, those are ethnic differences, but we're all one race. Population drift is my favorite. <laughs> yes. Um, but when we talk about those things and those barriers, I've had barriers because of my skin. However, I haven't allowed that to change my drive. Right. But then I also understand that as a male of African descent, it is important for me to be an overachiever and to demonstrate that when you put my resume up against somebody else's resume, that my resume is so much deeper, it has so much more depth, so much more, um, it's so much richer that there's no way you can deny me without it being blatantly obvious that you're just choosing this person because, because you feel like there's some aspect of me that will not provide the same opportunity. And when you, when you are when you are aware 
of things like that, you don't allow it to be a crutch, but you use it to be an inspiration. I've always been the type of person who, when I think about ways that I can change the system, I, I believe that there are two different paths I could take. I could either create my own and say, this is, this is all me and this is how we're gonna do things, or I can rise up in the currently established system and try and affect change from within. For me, I, I think it is more effective for my path. There are many people who have started their own thing and they have had such an incredible impact. For me, I wanna rise up in what's currently established and then change from within. Because generally that's been established longer. That is gonna have a wider reach and it's gonna be something that already has kind of the spotlight on, on what's happening there. I believe that's how you elicit much larger global scale, scale change is by approaching things from that perspective. But that, that comes from an awareness, not a lack of awareness of who I am and how I'm perceived. It goes back to that humility argument that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. If, if I wasn't just acutely aware of the dichotomy of my presence, and it's just, we'll go back to, I'll tell you, give you a quick anecdote from whenever I met. So my, my cohort for Teacher of the Year, there were three, three males of African descent. At some point in time, all three of us had long hair. I still currently have my long hair. My buddy from Hernando County currently has his long hair. My buddy from St. John's County had cut his hair off. He had long hair. He now has long hair again. One of the first comments at the three, the first conversations we had, we had done our introductions and kind of, so everyone's still kind of awkward, didn't really know everybody yet. And we were walking back to the elevators to go to our rooms. And Jay Early, shout out to Jay Hernando County, um, comes up to me and says, bro, I just gotta tell you, man, I, I love the fact, when I saw your picture, here is a teacher, a teacher of the year finalist, and he's an, a male of African descent with long hair. Like, and I see your dreads, and, I, and I'm like, well, they're twists, but yeah, okay. Uh, he's like, <laughs> and I see your dreads, and like, you're just, you're out there, and you're, and you're proud, and you, you got it, and, and that doesn't detract from who you are. But yet, when someone sees that, they're perceiving it. How is their perception? Right. And, and I'll tell you, I, growing up, my dad kept my hair short. He's like, you need to look respectable. You need to look respectable. Cut your hair. You need to look respectable. No, you can't have earrings. You need to cut your hair. Look respectable. I got to college. One of the first things I did was grow my hair out. I had my long twist and everything and loved it. Met Casey with my twist. She loved it. She, we were going to meet her dad. And she actually started doing karate with us, so I was teaching her karate with our, our karate friends. So I showed, I knew I was meeting her dad this weekend, so I showed up to the karate school, and she looks at me and she says, what did you do? I shaved my hair off. Because I've gotta look respectable whenever I meet your father. And for those that don't know my story, my, my, my wife is of another ethnicity. She is Caucasian, I am of African descent. Um, but I was hyper aware of that stigma that exists for male, black males with long hair. But it was a part of me that, it is a part of what I want, that's the way that I express myself. I love being able, the reason I don't have, the reason I don't let my hair lock up is because I wanna be able to do different things with it. If I wanna have cornrows, awesome, I have cornrows. If I wanna do twists, Wear it long, I'm gonna do twist and wear it long. If I want my mom or my sister to braid a mohawk, which that's like one of my favorite go-to's, then I can do that, but that's a way that I express myself. And so 
when I met when I met her father, like I said, I shaved it off and I kept it short for a while. Like I gotta make sure, and that was always in the back of my mind. I gotta gotta be respected. I gotta make sure I look professional and look respectable. And so when I applied for my first job, my hair was still short. Started as a teacher, my hair is still short. But I told myself, I said, you know what? When you get your PhD, you're gonna grow your hair back out because nobody can tell you anything when you get your terminal degree. You can still have your opinion, but what one thing that no one can ever take from anybody is your education because you earned it. Mm-hmm. Are you? How is that different than you know the people who walk into a job interview and they got tattoos all over their arms and they're being perceived as you know as uh, I mean they could be perceived as a thug as, or whatever. whatever it is. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Like sure, they get. Like I, I just there's a lot of perceptions, you know. I, a good example. I'll take myself as an example. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like this is how I go to work. Sure. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to be an entrepreneur was so I could wear blue jeans, a shirt, and a ball cap. Because you're your own, you're your own boss. <laughs> exactly. And but I also knew that when I was going to job interviews and when I was, I mean, heck, even when I went to go get my first college job, like I didn't go in there dressed like this, right? Like mm-hmm. I went in there, sure, night dressed to dress, the nines, dress, yeah. dress nice, yeah. and to be like you said respectable like i mean isn't that isn't that just natural i i no, i think it's i think those two examples are a little different okay I, I think there is a there's something to be said with dressing professionally which when you are and i believe that it, when i was in the classroom and especially at the, the beginning of the year from from january from um not january lord have mercy from august to december i wore a shirt and tie yeah every day January to March, not every day, but still for the majority of the time. March to May, I was a little bit more casual. But then when August came back, shirt and tie. Because that perception and how you perceive, I take my job seriously, I take myself seriously, you should take me seriously because I'm dressed more formally. So I'm a firm believer that whenever, if I'm making a first impression, then yeah, I'm gonna come dressed to nines because I want your first impression not to be Oh, he's a person of African descent. I want it to be, dang, he, he's looking good. Like, that's a really nice suit. Like, he, he, he looks put together because those first impressions are so important. Mm-hmm. Then once you meet me, you can, now we can start to kind of shape that opinion. When I'm looking at that facade, that, that, that appearance, if I... I am someone who's totally tattooed up and, and, that, and, that's, and that's what I, I'm, my personality is. I can hide that if I want. As a person of African descent, if I have my hair long, I can't hide my hair. Mm. And for all you know, that could be something that's very culturally specific. Because if we're talking about people of different ethnicities, ethnicities, especially people of African descent, people who are born and raised in Jamaica are very different from people who are who are specifically from a country within Africa, which are very different from people who are raised and born in America as people of African descent. And they all have different traditions, different values. And in a, in some of those countries and things, having long hair is a spiritual thing. So who am I to judge the way someone has their hair to say that something is not is or is not professional, yet they show up in a suit just as with anybody else because they're looking at it from a formal perspective. We have formal dress, we have casual dress, mm-hmm. we have formal casual, we have the all the other little sections in between on that spectrum. And when you're going for a job, 
I do. It's something you, it is professional. It, it is a formal occasion. But the way I wear my hair <laughs> is not a formal piece. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just, that, that is, I, I don't think that those are similar simply because if I choose to get tattoos, which I have tattoos, but they're all in places that are concealed. So are concealable, right. concealable. I can cover my tattoos and no one will know that I have any. I, you're going, it, it, but those tattoos were a choice. And people could argue that my hair is a choice too, but my hair is a part of me. Mm-hmm. If I get a tattoo on the side of my face, I chose to get that tattoo on the side of my face knowing that people are gonna have an opinion about me having a tattoo on the side of my face because it's not natural. Yeah. I think there's a difference. But when, uh, you, but when you got that tattoo, maybe you were thinking about that and maybe you matured, maybe you got past that. Like, I, I don't know, like you, you can, I, like I agree with you, but, but I guess for my point is like, you, you can constantly make the decision to change the status of your hair, right? But like sure. you could have gotten a tattoo when you were at a certain age. <laughs> Absolutely, and yeah, And yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that, maybe you don't have identity to that tattoo anymore, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna get it removed. removed. Like, sure. like at, at the choice. end of the day, I, I'm still kind of from a perspective of, and this is an idealism and I know that it is, but who's the best person to do a job? Like oh, I, I, you know, I don't like, I don't disagree with you at even all. Show, like I like it was I think early early COVID and maybe it was even 2019. But like there was that show on Netflix, Blind Date, where where it was this. I mean, it was a social phenomenon yeah. for a while. But but the whole idea was like you you meet these people in chambers. You don't know what they look like. You don't right. know the color of their skin. You don't know anything. But you you try to form a bond based on just talking just through personality. a wall. Right? Absolutely. And. I sit here and listen to this, and and again, I, I know I'm speaking idealisms, but like, why my 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 general question is why does it matter? Why does it matter if you're tatted up? Why does it matter if you wear all black? Why does it matter if you are black and have long? Like, it shouldn't. Matter. Who's the best person to do the job? But right? I think you're I think you're arguing two different things. If if I may, yeah, because please. I think when we when we talk about the job piece of that, as the person who is the the boss or the authority there, there is a very specific. I'll say uh, perspective is not the word. There, there's a there's a visual that you are looking for depending on what the job is. If I'm hiring somebody who I know is going to have to go out and market to a very specific demographic, then there's something specific I'm looking for. That's why I say that. Like I know I'm speaking from a point of idealism because right. I, I understand. Like in in this world that I'm creating is, is <laughs> undo these perceptions, un- sure. undo these problems where that has to be a thing. Mike, I wanna live in that world. Yeah, no, I do too. But ultimately <laughs> you, you want the CEO that hires a salesperson that's the best at selling the product. It doesn't matter what they look at. It doesn't matter who, who the person that they're selling to thinks about it because I'm, I'm saying these perceptions should be undone. Right, but the problem is like, as much as we say, oh, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. We do. I, I pick up the cover and I go, oh, I'm not so interested in this book. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like, like we do do that. Yes. Like without knowing the content, what's of what's inside, who it is, like whatever, you know. Like, and so, it, so my question to you, Dre, because I, I wrote this down, I scribbled it a I'm long time saying, ago. I'm not saying like, it's not right. Like we shouldn't is, do that, but we do. Is, right. uh, it's for, just human for you as an educator, where do you prioritize the idea of, of say, and I'm just gonna speculate, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna try to sugar, but like say going, going, going in front of a group of underprivileged people and being an influence, right? Showing them what they can be, right? Mm-hmm. Versus stepping, stepping into a different crowd and undoing 
the victim of of, uh, what, what of was their experience of their experience sure. that, that may have come. I think another way that we talk about this is um, I think we all laugh and joke about the people that never left our hometowns, right? We do, yes, right. <laughs> but they're, they're victims of their experiences in, in ways, whether it's through opportunity or through whatever. Like mm-hmm. I, like I was afforded the ability to leave my hometown and go to college. Mm-hmm. Going to Gainesville, experiencing diversity for the first time in my life Changed. was a pinnacle. Yes. I mean, it, it was huge. And so I can sit here and, and laugh and joke and knock and whatever about people that never left my hometown because they are the way they are, but they're a victim of their experiences, right? Correct. So so my point is, like, does it serve you better? And at what point do you prioritize stepping in front of the people that you can be a role model toward because they want to see somebody like you versus undoing those experiences? I, and I can give you the answer to that. And I feel like I've, I've lived it for the last year and a half at least. Um, and I'll go back to my classroom to start off with, with this answer and this response is that my classroom was the depiction of diversity. Being at a school that was in a Title I area that was also an international baccalaureate school that was located roughly 15 minutes from a tier one research institution, I had students who were of Asian descent and the numerous Asian descents that you can think of I had students who were of Indian descent and learned a lot about Indian culture and the fact that just because someone is quote unquote Indian doesn't mean you know what religion they're from because that's what identifies them. Mm-hmm. I had students of Caucasian descent. I have students of African descent. You name it. I had Hispanic students. You name it. They were in my classroom. And we created a culture of collaboration. You're not judging anybody based off of, off of what they look like. And we're, at some point in time, you're going to have to work with that person. And if one succeeds, we all succeed. And the way you break those barriers down though, and especially as an educator, you focus on the relationship. It's about the process, not the product. And so as I, when I walk into a room or when I meet certain people, my first goal is to develop a relationship with that, with that person. How do you do that? You take, you take the emphasis off yourself. And this is, and this is, this is that's one of those things, those, those skills you develop, but whenever I meet somebody for the first time, my first instinct isn't to tell them about myself. I want to know about them. What makes them special? What makes, the, what makes them important? What do they value? And then now, oh, you know what? That's just like this opportunity in my life. So now we have this common ground, this common thread that maybe you didn't think we had anything in common, but I see value in that. Were you always that way or did you have to teach yourself like that? Um, I, I got along with everybody. Like, yeah, and if anything, I felt more outcast from from, I think you can get along with everybody, though, but I think everybody, I don't want to be too general, but, like, there's a lot of people that wait to talk. Like, you get excited because you want to share your story. Sure. And and people, even if they're interested, don't do enough listening. Nobody does. They they listen to respond. They don't listen to to understand. Mm -hmm. But that's a skill that can be taught. And so, and that's one of those things where as an educator, when I had my leadership camps and when I had those opportunities to talk to my, my students, that was one of those things that I emphasized because I understand the importance of it. And I, I honestly can't tell you whether or not it was something that like, just something that I was built with mm-hmm. or that it, that was the, the nature versus nurture argument. All I can say is that it's something that I learned along the way and I do my best to, to provide that same feedback to everyone and just to be that example, say, hey, you know what? I remember that thing that Dr. Graham told me. He's like, you know, we gotta listen to, to understand and stop listening to respond. Because I think if, if, if more people were willing to hear others' stories, 
and to know what makes them themselves and what, what creates that schema that they have and what has developed their ego and their id, you know, and, and the super ego, when we, we start talking about the psychology pieces of it, then that would allow us to develop that big, that big buzzword, empathy. Mm-hmm that we don't seem to have enough of within our society. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it, yeah, I, I don't know if I, was, if, I was, if I was built that way, but what I do know is that it is probably one of the greatest character traits that I have developed that I try and use, use to push forward. And I think everybody in, in this room understands and we value the, the importance of diversity and the fact that we are not, we, we were all raised in here um, which Sarah, I assume you, you, you were raised in this mentality too, but I know there's, there's a little bit of generational gap here. So um, to, to think that America's the great melting pot. Oh, you come to America and we're throwing everybody together and we, we all become Americans. That's really a great concept, but it's not true. Right. Well, America is not a melting pot. America is a really good salad. I don't eat salad, so but I, from what I understand, <laughs> the more like the more diverse things you have in the salad, the, the better it is. So you've got your lettuce and you've got your 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 croutons and your and your cucumbers and your cheese and but if any of those things became like any of the others, they would be a bland a bland piece of of, of food. But it's their uniquenesses that bring and that offer an opportunity to have a really great meal. That's what. America really is or what it should be right. and to where when I if I if I'm really into lettuce but I've got some cheese I'm not going to allow the cheese to like take away from what I enjoy in the lettuce and so you know what maybe like let's let's embrace what the what the cheese is adding here it doesn't oh you know what I can't make the well, the lettuce isn't going to be the main the main feature so I'm just going to take all the cheese out you know, it's they all operate and they function in such a way that they add to the uniqueness and and, and the character of, of that dish. That is what, at least my opinion of, of what America was intended to be, whether or not we, those were the practices when our forefathers built, built the nation. And that's a whole nother conversation. It's <laughs> a whole nother podcast. This is our band now. It doesn't matter what their band was. You're right. It's our you're, band now. You're right, you're right. But whenever those are the governing documents. Right. No, I mean, I how many- I, I say that in jest. How many yeah. members of Congress were in schools after after a desegregation? Mm-hmm. But you're the, the ones writing the laws for how many billions of people are, are in our country or millions? I, it just- I, I'll say this, like this is the first time we've been in a room together and Oh man, it's been like a long time, right? And the power of social media is though that like I get to like (laughs) watch you know, you get to watch people from afar. Right. And like everything from, I mean, you were teaching in Ocala for a while before you were teaching <laughs> in Tampa and then your decision, like after you won teacher of the year, like I, I, like I even feel like I remember it being, feeling like it was somewhat like not controversial, but like it was a huge decision for you to decide to leave private education and going to, or like just, you know, educating to go into the department. Like, yeah, I, I don't know, like <laughs> you, you've, you talked about being that cocky high school kid and everything about you has been completely like gracious and humble and you've got so much gratitude in you and and just like just from a from person to person like you you've been an inspiration and it's it's one of those powerful things like you don't know who's watching but I've been watching you for a long time and I've been cheering you on I've been so proud of you like the the brotherhood that we have just from being in Gator Band but like it's just been incredible to watch what what you've done 
I mean, really ever since I've known you, but especially in the last few years, um, dude, it's just been incredible. And you, you are, you are a role model, even, even to me up here, like, like you're a role model and I just, you're not going to give yourself credit. So I'm going to give you credit <laughs> and too, tell man. you, tell you thank you because you don't know the lives that you're touching. I mean, hopefully you get enough credit and you feel that, but like you have no idea the impact that you're having just from people like me that, that get to watch you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Big time. That. I, you know, and it's one of those things where I'll, I'll even like use this to wrap up the podcast and just say like, if you've had, if you've had somebody in your life that has had an impact on you, reach out to them and thank them yes. because it like you, yes. you just as a leader, like you don't get it enough. Like uh, Mike's absolutely right. Like the number of people that you're impacting, you're not going to even know the ripple effects of that because they're not going to reach out to you and tell you. Right? <laughs> right. And some of them like I'm sure yeah, you've gotten so like no, hit yeah, up by a so lot no, of people. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I get I get the you know, I get the messages from people who listen to this show and say, "Dude, just so you know, like I I went out and changed my life because of this episode." That's that, awesome. You know, like right. the stuff like that, like yeah. you get that and that helps that helps fuel the mission and be like, "Man, this is this is purpose for me. Sure. Like I'm going to keep doing this. This sure. is purpose." And so when you do get those tastes, but I think it's super important to realize that you're not getting enough of those thank yous and you're not seeing enough of that impact or hearing enough about it. Um, and so like, I would like totally encourage our audience, like reach out to somebody and say thank you. But yes, absolutely, just to kind of piggyback on what Mike said, you're having such an incredible impact on <laughs> And I know world. you're not doing it for those reasons, but and, like yeah. you, you need to hear it that it matters. I appreciate that. I uh, am honored that you're here. Dude, this is uh, awesome. This is fun. Thank you for the invitation. It was a great, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's great diving into these very important topics too. And like, uh, you know, I I'm very proud that we have leaders exactly like you. And I'm excited. Like, it's gonna be a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> ten years from now to do a podcast. Yes. Like, Dude, remember <laughs> ten years ago when we did that show? Like, look at everything that's happened. Like, this is crazy. We were in like the middle of COVID and all this sort of stuff. And like. You know, parents were the teachers, and now look at the world. And I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. I just look forward to to those moments and having a follow up podcast. And That's just, right. Yeah, Absolutely. it's gonna be really cool. Yeah, it's gonna be really cool. So just keep doing what you're doing, and and uh, I will say thank you on behalf of our entire audience because I, I just admire you so much, man. So I appreciate that. So keep doing thank it. You. Keep you. doing it. <laughs> And uh, so where can people, like where could our audience kind of follow your journey? Where can they, can, like I don't know if you're on LinkedIn or like whatever whatever I, you do, yeah. if you have a social media pages or anything. When do you have to retire that Twitter handle? Yeah. Um, I, I don't have to retire, I get to keep it, it's all mine. And that's, okay, so this, really quickly, I know we're closing out, yeah. but this was something that the National Teacher of the Year event, like we went up and all the state teachers of the year got together and we did a pinning ceremony. And I will never forget that, and I try, anytime I get a chance to visit with other teachers of the year and get to kind of talk to their districts and things, I always make sure to say this. And something that she said, uh, Sarah Brown Wessling, who was a former National Teacher of the Year, but she kind of helps to regulate the program now. She said, when you say, because we had to pass it around and say, I'm the Florida Teacher, 2020 Florida Teacher of the Year. When you say that, you have to understand that you will always be the 2020 Florida Teacher of the Year. It's not a title that goes away. Mm -hmm. It's not something that changes. So it, 10 years from now, I still am, because I am alive, I still am the 2020 Florida Teacher because it's only one title and I'm the one who holds it, <laughs> you know? 
And so I will always have the at 2020 FL toy Twitter handle. Um, but I do have one that I started right before that because my predecessor is like, hey, you need to get a Twitter handle. And I, at the time I didn't tweet at all. And I still terrible, but I don't really tweet anymore. I'll tweet sometimes, but like my year when I was active, I tweeted all the time. But you can follow me on at 2020 FL toy on Twitter and also at Dr. Graham eight. Um, I also have an Instagram. I'm still working on learning how to navigate that. I know that's the, the new thing. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, children. I know it's not new anymore. But, um, <laughs> that's pretty old. But I, yeah, yeah, it's got us by a couple I of years. <laughs> he's, he's an Instagram pro. I'm still resistant uh, to it. But, but at DreGram3, um, I still have the old. See, I'm, I'm old. We were here when Facebook first started. So that's the Facebook. That's no, what no, I'm coming I don't even like. I just Dre Graham, just D R E Graham. I'm the only one on Facebook uh, with that name. And I do have a LinkedIn, but I have three LinkedIn's. <laughs> one is from my Oofly Do account. Ah. One's from my personal Gmail. No one says you know. No one says Oofly Do anymore. They don't know. Do, do you know Oofly Do? Sarah, yeah, so, oh my gosh. Because I get like, you know, I'm on the phone all the time with, with, with customers and everything and they give me their email address and they, they, you know, whatever, at, at ufl.edu. And I'm like, oh, oofly do. They're do. like, no, at ufl.edu. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 I'm sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> I thought we all knew what that meant, but <laughs> apparently not. Um, and, and then I have one of my, like my school district of Hillsborough County email. So if, just look up. Dakian, or it's Dr. Dakian Graham or Dr. Dre Graham, any of those on LinkedIn. And I, I check all of them, not religiously, <laughs> but like I go and I'll like accept people. And, but yeah, no, it's, it's good times. Cool, man. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks yeah. so much again for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having and, me. And uh, thank you guys to everybody who's listening and for sharing this episode. And, uh, and, you know, special thanks to our team, James Leitner, Sarah Lenz, Allison Madrino, and of course, my co-host, my man, Michael Dees. <laughs> and uh, if you were driving and didn't get a chance to write down this information, uh, do not worry. We've got your, uh, I was going to say, the information to our sponsors who make the show happen. Don't worry. You can find their information in the show notes of this episode and uh, on our website, whoagnb.com forward slash sponsors. Uh, so definitely get connected to all of the businesses that make this happen. And special love and shout out to the U.S mover guys uh if you need help moving your home or your business guys they will move your business too and in fact you know they've moved schools like there's been a lot of stuff happening in the area with new schools being built and they've actually been helping move schools so they can do it all and uh full service packing moving bulky items disassembling furniture and if you need storage well they got your back there too mike do you know what one of my favorite parts about the uf mover uf mover guys is though their muscles no, episode 102? Boom, well, they no. did. They definitely, no. they what de- is your favorite they part? They definitely have the muscles. Uh, but you don't have to pay anything up front. Like, that you is get, a good thing. They will complete the move and make sure that you're 100% satisfied before you even have to pay them anything. Uh, you guys, they have over 600 Google reviews with a 4.9 star rating for a reason. Give them a call at 352 352- 415-0886 or visit their website at ufmoverguys.com. Brad and Jordan, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for sponsoring. And of course, when you give them a call, make sure you say, hey, I heard you on the WHOA GNV podcast. The podcast bring you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. We will see you later. <laughs> <laughs>